I think the best way to describe our passage today involves two words. Human righteousness. Human righteousness. And Jesus has got news for us. It backfires and it makes things worse. That is sort of a one-sentence summary of uh, our, our, uh, our passage today. Let me hop down to the uh, part after the thesis statement, because I would like just to review for us uh, four critical teachings from the Gospel of Matthew. It's a time for a review. It's a time to look at the forest. And as I rehearse these four things very briefly, I invite you to ask yourself how you're doing. The first is to affirm Jesus as Lord and Messiah. This will come soon with Peter's confession of Jesus as Lord in the next chapter of Matthew. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Are you at a point in your life where you know that Jesus is God incarnate and that he is the promised Messiah? That's a firm and core teaching of the gospel of Matthew. The second is, be righteous in the Jesus go deep sense. And our passage today, like many of the passages that we've been looking at over the past several weeks, have been exploring what I like to term Jesus's go deep righteousness. We all have a way of thinking that uh, we know how to behave. We know how to please God. We, we know how to behave rightly. But Jesus blows that out of the water by challenging probably the world's leading experts, even to this day, in practicing Torah righteousness, in practicing the teachings of the Bible. And Jesus says to, the, to us, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, who show up in our text again today, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So there's a kind of a righteousness that we're trying to learn about as we uh, go through Matthew. And it's not the kind that can be put into formulas. That's part of the problem that we're going to run in today, into today. Thirdly, know and obey his teachings and commands. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I sort of think, okay, yeah, right. I know I'm supposed to do that. But when you actually think about what it means, knowing and obeying the commands of Jesus, that is not an easy thing. Think of some of the more unsettling things that Jesus has taught us. Love your enemies. Don't store up treasures on earth. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him or her also the left. And then the fourth, and we'll see this next week in the story of Jesus with the Canaanite woman, a Gentile, have faith in Jesus and his power alone to save. This is something that's crucial also for St. Paul. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's actually how we get the kingdom righteousness. Paul makes it very clear that we can never be righteous in and of ourselves. That was the problem of the scribes and the Pharisees and of many people today. We think that if we just kind of do our best, maybe even go the extra mile here, there, and even everywhere, that we will end up being righteous before God. But that is impossible. Even if you're the most righteous person on the planet, you don't stand a chance of being perfect and righteous in God's uh, in God's. Um, world in, in, in terms of the measure of God's perfection. It's like asking an Olympic gold medalist to swim to Hawaii. They could do a great job. You may be better than anybody else on the planet, but without faith in Jesus, just saying to Jesus, 
you know, I realize I'm a mess. I know you died on the cross. You're this wonderfully perfect, holy person. And I want to ride on the coattails of your righteousness. And I want your death on the cross to be my way to heaven. That's a summary of the gospel in a nutshell. And it is crucial. If you hear nothing else from this pulpit year after year, that would be one thing to remember. Believe in Jesus. Put your faith in him. Trust in him. Not your own goodness. Not your church attendance and everything else. <clears throat> Believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. <coughs> All right, as we come to our passage today, I'm afraid that there are three more things, quickly, that we're going to need to look at. The first issue that we run into are items one and two. <clears throat> the first involves hand washing. Then the Pharisees and scribes come to Jesus from Jerusalem, saying, on what basis do your disciples disregard the tradition of the elders? And here I'm referring to the translation that I've given on the first page of your multi-page handout. This isn't a case of table manners and of hygiene. It's a case of uh, ritual purity. It's a case of personal holiness. And it's kind of related to hygiene, but think of it as spiritual hygiene. To this day, if you walk in the Orthodox neighborhood in Jerusalem, one of the um, Orthodox Jews will be coming down the sidewalk and you will see him cross the street over to the other side and walk down the other side of the street. And then when they have passed you, come this way. They don't want to be defiled by a Gentile. And so the Pharisees are working on um, uh, spiritual or moral hygiene. And this is a tradition that they have and they criticize Jesus for it. So that's what the hand washing involves. It's not hygienic. And what the OT does say about hand washing is much, much more limited than the Pharisees were mandating. The second is something that I don't think I ever heard during years and years of um, <clears throat> listening to sermons, and it's really important. The Pharisees had a two-track law. There was the, the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament that we have, and that was authoritative for them. But then alongside that and parallel to it, they had an oral tradition or an oral law. And it was as authoritative as uh, the written law. So um, this is one of the reasons why Jesus clashes in the way that he does with the Pharisees. You remember back in chapter five, Jesus said, you have heard it is said, that's your tradition, but I say. So the Pharisees had this whole parallel track Bible that was finally codified in a thing called the Mishnah, which is around and is adhered by Jews to this day. And so that's what they're drawing from. This was, in fact, there's a whole chapter in the Jewish Mishnah on hand washing. And it now includes an exemption in the case of honoring one's parents. And then the third thing comes when Jesus, he, he, he in verse four, well, let's back up to verse um, three. In response, Jesus said to the hand-washing, on what basis is it that you disregard the commandment of God? Um, they're challenging a tradition of the elders, and Jesus is turning around and says, well, you guys are worse. You transgress a commandment of God. And then he says, for God said, honor your father and your mother, 
and the one who speaks evil of their father or mother, let them be put to death. But you say, anyone who says to his father or mother, anything of mine that you would have benefited from is a gift in the form of a binding sacred vow to God, need not honor his father or mother. The little historical detail is that the, the Jews at the time had created a loophole. Say you're quite wealthy, you want to keep your wealth and not worry about having it go into the, the care of the seniors home where your parents are. What you can do is you can make a vow to the priests in the temple and say, my dear wife and I are very pious. We have decided that we are going to give all of our money to the temple or to the church. And we vow to do that. Well, once you've made that vow, you can hang on to your property until you die. And then it goes to the temple. And you say to mom and dad, sorry, um, our, our money's been dedicated to the Lord. And um, you're, you're out of luck. So this is a thing called the Korban, which was a, a sacred vow that people took. And it was a way of getting, uh, on, on, of avoiding honoring your parents. And it was a very pious way of doing it. We're so holy that we're not going to look after you in your adulthood, in your old age, because we've given the money to the church. And once we've made a vow to give the money to the church, well, too bad. So Jesus, on this basis, comes back and responds to them and says, this won't go. Okay. I think the best way to understand our passage from this point on is to ask ourselves three questions or to make three observations. One is that um, the question has to do with do hand washing and other extra on the surface practices help make us holy or righteous? And the answer is no. At worst, they can actually violate God's teaching and they typically spawn self-righteousness hypocrisy, and or pride. <clears throat> Dear friends, I think this is just the most, <clears throat> one of the most relevant things that um, could be spoken about. We human beings like to be in control. We don't like to think that we're sinful. We like to have a, a position of respect and uh, authority with others. And so we, uh, we mind our P's and Q's, and we manage things pretty well, and we put up the appearance of righteousness. And in order to do that, we often um, keep practices or customs uh, or just have an attitude that I can be okay, and I'm one of those people that's got my act together. Um, and those people over there, um, well, they're, they're a whole different kettle of fish. And I'm sure you've seen this in the workplace or anywhere or other places as well, is sometimes people will, they will put the other person, they will elevate themselves relative to the other person by putting the other person down. And this is what the Jews do when they come and they say, well, on what basis do your disciples disregard the tradition of the elders? They're not washing their hands before meals. Um, Rabbi, you have a problem with your disciples over there. And when you do that, you point the finger, you feel good, they feel bad, right? But of course, the problem with Jesus is that um, <laughs> you dare not point the finger at Jesus because he has a very, um, it's very easy for him to justify his response. And we've seen that. He comes back and um, makes them for the hypocrites that they are in this particular situation. 
it can happen in all kinds of ways. <clears throat> Last week, I was at Costco, and I was uh, filling up my gas tank. You can get gas for a few cents a, uh, less a liter if you're a Costco member. And I was amazed because um, I, I was pulling, there are two pumps. There's two sets of cars that, that line up. And um, the car in front uh, finished first. And so I was behind, and I went around the guy at the front, and I pulled in, and then I backed in at an angle so that he could swing out a little bit more easily, and so that my gas tank was closer to the pump. Well, I was parked at an angle, and everybody else parked straight ahead. And so two people got out of the vehicles, and they said, oh, where did you learn to park? And I'm thinking, well, look, my tank's closer to the pump, and you got more room to get out. And they just kind of said, where did you take driving lessons there, buddy? You see, you find something that somebody else is doing that is anomalous. It's a little bit different. And why well, you just cash in on it. Yesterday, I was watching the CBC, or was listening to the CBC radio when they were having a comedy show at the expense of Liz Truss, the recent prime minister of Britain. Now, of course, there are, a few, there are very few politically correct targets in our day, but politicians and often Christians are fair game. And they just went on and on about Liz Truss and how, you know, they had this, this, uh, this lettuce and the lettuce lasted longer than Liz Truss did. And, you know, hearty, har, har, this and that. And it went on for about half an hour. And it was all fun. And in a way, it was understandable. But I, because I was preparing for the sermon at the same time, I thought, well, you know, this is a really good example. Here we are pointing to that person. Well, my gosh, they're the shortest living British prime minister in history. We all have a way of trying to justify ourselves uh, with reference to others and often by recourse to menial things. One of the things that Jesus teaches us to do is to repent of our sins and to confess our sins. And of course, we do that in our church services, and we, we do it every week, and we should, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud and glad for that. But how many times have you ever heard or experienced somebody who stepped outside of the, the nice formality of that? And I'm not criticizing, I'm not suggesting that that can't be perfectly appropriate and sincere. But I think if I were Jesus and I were, I were looking for sort of a litmus test, I would kind of be expecting people to say, oh, gosh, you know what? We're at the repentance section. I got to tell you something. I mean, I'm just, I've just been having a terrible time with this. And to actually come forward and to confess their problem. I've only been, I think, in one church service in the past 10, 15 years where someone actually did that personally and explicitly. And I think the reason is, well, you tell me. Uh, I can't think of a, of a different reason than human pride. Uh, we don't want to uh, be the person who... Uh, doesn't have their, their act together. And Jesus says, as soon as you sort of think that you've got a system, whatever it is, at the very worst, you're, you're breaking a law of God, as in the instance of the Korban, or at best, you're being hypocritical, uh, getting in the way of God's laws. Um, Jesus was never more happy than when somebody uh, and it was often like a, a wealthy, proud person. I think maybe it was easier in that culture than ours. I don't know. Somebody like Zach, Zach, Zacchaeus, you know, who said, you know, I'm a schmuck and I recognize it. And I want to give, you know, the money that I was swindled out of other people back to them. Oh, well, everybody didn't do this. Jesus said, 
this is this is a reason to rejoice, right? Because someone has repented and confessed of their sins. <clears throat> Note number three from the beginning of the review: know and obey his teachings and commands, and they involve repentance and forgiveness. Friends, I'm as guilty as this as uh, as anyone. Um, let me give you a, a short example because I, it might help you in your own thinking. I, I missed a meeting two weeks ago. It was a committee meeting. You know, I was up, I was up north and I was about to cut down this big tree that had fallen. I looked at my watch and I thought, oh man, it's quarter to 12. If I really hustle, I could get to town and get on this Zoom meeting. I got this big tree. Uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm kind of in a, on a roll here. I don't really want to go to this committee meeting. So you think, well, Gosh, I could say, sorry, I missed the meeting because a birch tree fell on my septic tank, which is true. Um, you know, I had the guy come and cut it down and it fell on the septic tank. Um, you know, we have these ways of saying, well, we could always say that. Um, but this is part of Jesus's go deep righteousness, isn't it? This is part of where he's saying, no, we're looking for the real deal here. And as soon as we give up our pride, um, and 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 come clean with God. Uh, I mean, other certainly, you know, the self-righteous other people may look down on you, but who cares? There's rejoicing in heaven over every sinner that repents, because that's their ticket to being imposed with the righteousness of Christ. So it makes me wonder what practices we do that are related to this. Let me give you an example from the church world. And I'm going to give you two examples from the church world because it's fair. One is, I have sometimes been in Anglican circles where when I was a, a student training for ministry, I felt very intimidated because I was in a church that had the right way of doing worship. You know, you had your, your, your doily properly positioned here and you knew what to call the thingy. And you, you know, there was the right time when the bells would ring. And it, it was it was gloriously choreographed, choreographed. And the motive could well have been proper worship. But I had a sense that we know how to do church. Those other people, ooh, wow, you know, they don't have the respect that we show or something else. I was sharing this with a friend this week who's a pastor, a priest. And she laughed and she said she'd had a lot of experience in the church. She said, well... <laughs> And this doesn't surprise me. She said, yeah, well, you should try changing the contemporary service as well. Like you can have, you know, people objecting over um, the different things that we ought to be doing in terms of, you know, drums and guitars and music and everything else. We want to, we want to maintain control. And sometimes when we're confronted with sin, We need to establish equilibrium. So you have a choice. You know, I could eat crow and repent and look like a fool. Or I could come up with this narrative that justifies my behavior that's going to sound really good. You know, uh, a giant birch tree fell on my septic tank. I mean, you know, you can erect your septic tank by that. That, that, that weight has got to come off. But that wasn't the reason why I missed the meeting. Just to come clean, I still... <laughs> I still haven't confessed or given a reason for missing the meeting because, uh, you know, I guess I, I, I'm, I'm working on the full explanation and it's not going to look good when I, when, I, when I write it. But, you know, if we did this more and more, I think it would give other people permission to do the same because we all know we're not perfect. Somebody else comes along and says, well, you know, 
um, I'm, I'm a bit of a screw up today because I did this. Well, how does that make you feel? Generally, you're not going to judge them. You're going to say, well, you know what? Since you said that, let me tell you this. So I think that there's a whole bit and a whole lot of um, the practice of Jesus' righteousness that's important. Okay, I'm on the outline under the, the first. Do hand washing and other extra on the surface practices help us feel holy and righteous? Try forgetting to say grace at a meal and see if, uh, if people don't, don't point it out. I mean, it's good to say grace at a meal, right? But we got this thing, you know, we Christians, we say grace. And if we say grace, that means we're Christians. And if you don't say grace at the beginning of every meal, well then, whew, man, you're out to lunch. Well, at worst, our practices and customs that are on the extra and on the surface can actually violate God's teaching. And they typically spawn self-righteousness, hypocrisy, and or pride. Now, the second question, do the Old Testament laws that permit, prohibit the eating of certain foods still abide? Now, if you, look at, if you look at Mark's version, which is on page eight of your handout, it's, it's the same. It's on the last, the last page of your, your handout. I've underlined what Mark says. And it says in this episode that Jesus, at the end of verse 19, thus he declared all foods clean. And if you read the passage carefully, you'll see that there are kind of two things going on. It's We're talking about hand washing, but at a certain point, it moves towards eating. Ask yourself in verse 10, what does hand washing itself have to do with what it says in verse 11? Is not what enters into the mouth that defiles a person. Um, it is not what enters into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Well, you're not washing your hands inside somebody's mouth, right? You spilled over from hand washing to eating. And this leads to a big deal in the New Testament church. Because in the Old Testament, they had kosher laws. And um, the... The Jewish people, out of respect for God and, and in keeping with the teachings of the Old Testament, still keep their kosher laws. So uh, this, this led to a principle where Jesus, when he actually changes the language to entering into the mouth, you can see that we're moving from hand washing to this big issue in the church. And that was um, how many of the Old Testament food laws should um, a, um, a Christian or a Gentile keep? And of course, at this point, you could be thinking of um, the, the vision that was given to Peter in Acts, right? Twice, Peter had a vision. And in that vision, it was clear that God was telling Peter, eat pork. Well, I'm not going to eat pork. You know, this is forbidden. And God came back a second time and said, eat pork. Well, I've always wondered, you know, we say that the Old Testament is God's word, but here we've got it being thrown out. So what is the deal with this? And I just want to refer you to the second footnote on the, on the um, outline of the exposition here. Because in his commentary on uh, Leviticus, and don't worry, we're not going there. We're just going to two underlined statements. There was a reason for why certain foods were unclean and why certain foods were clean. And there were some kind of foods which, um, there, were, there were some kinds of exclusions that involved um, the unclean the ritually unclean, then the ordinary everyday Joe on the street who was a, a Jew and who was, who, was, uh, who was not defiled. And then there were the priests. 
So the, the bottom line is this at the bottom. It says the uncleanness laws thus expressed an understanding of holiness and of Israel's special status as the holy people of God. So these were, these were markers for the fact that Israel was God's special people. But now that, the, now that the gospel has been opened to the Gentiles in the providence of God and in the teachings of Jesus, well, those food laws no longer serve the marking purpose that they were intended. So it's not a fact that not a matter of uh, you know God saying one thing one time and another thing another time. The time for those food laws and their 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 adherence has passed, and so this is what allowed um, Peter to meet Cornelius, and it was a wonderful means by which uh, the gospel continued to spread. And so um, we see here uh, the beginning of Jesus actually saying and teaching. Uh, that um, it's okay to um, to eat to eat food. It's okay uh, even for um, a Jewish believer. Well, certainly for a Gentile believer to uh, to eat pork. I hesitated there because that was the debate in the early church, right? Okay, well, you're a Gentile believer, you're a Jewish believer. Maybe the Jewish believers should, and the Gentiles shouldn't. And also. <clears throat> The reason why these food laws have been laid aside is because it ties into Jesus's go deep righteousness. And this leads us to the third and final point. Personal holiness, uh, personal righteousness, another word for it, has nothing to do with the externals. I mean, certainly you can do a lot of things on the outside, you know, to, 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 uh, to, to, uh, to, um, to mess up and to make things worse. You could take narcotics, for example. But Jesus' underlying rationale has to do with what is in verse uh, 11, and it's in italics in the outline. But it's not what enters into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. So the problem isn't out there when it comes to holiness and righteousness. I mean, you can make the problem worse by taking on all kinds of things. Um, you know, you can, you can indulge in all kinds of things that are gonna make the situation worse. But Jesus teaches that at the heart, there's an unholiness and an unrighteousness that lives within us. <clears throat> this is what Jesus continues to say when he gives his explanation in verse 16, or, or in verse 17, he says to Peter, who, by the way, comes clean and says, you know, I don't get it. Do you not know that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the belly and is expelled into the latrine? Let me just stop there. That's actually what the Greek says. There isn't an English translation that I could find that actually said that. Because after all, well, we know how to be polite and proper. And we just assume that Jesus isn't going to call a spade a spade as well, right? That is exactly what Jesus says. He says, things that come out of the mouth extend from, uh, um, sorry, do, not, do, do you not know that everything that goes into the mouth and passes into the belly is expelled into the latrine? Jesus' words. That's why I felt free to have the little pee and poo poem at the top. Um, and uh, I, you know, <laughs> if Jesus can be that frank and sometimes talk about things like that, Okay, there you go. And if you're offended by that, that's part of the problem, right? You just sort of like, whoa, my language is better than that guy's. He doesn't know how to talk properly in a sermon, right? 
I mean, that, that, that could be, but that's, that's the problem. We're trying to get control and feel better than the other guy. Jesus is saying, get rid of that. <clears throat> but the things that come out of the mouth extend from the heart. And these are what defiles the person. And then interestingly, in the verses in verse 19, Jesus cites uh, much of the Ten Commandments. Um, he murders, adulteries, thefts, false witnessing are in order. But then he uses blasphemies as kind of a catch-all expression in the end, because one of Jesus's main concerns here is with bearing false witness and lying and deceiving, because that was what got Jesus on the cross, and it's what gets the church into trouble. And so, um, and the word evil ponderings as well at the beginning of verse 19 is probably Jesus's way of saying, honor your father and your mother. Because that's the fourth commandment. Well, how could that be? Well, if you look at what Jesus says in verse four, God said, honor your father and your mother. And the one who speaks evil of their father or mother, let him be put to death. So here, evil ponderings is related to honoring your father and your mother. These things are what defile the individual, but to eat with unclean hands does not defile uh, the individual. My friends, the solution to the problem is to admit that we are the problem. And that our sin comes from our very heart and that there is no solution there's no way to be righteous. There's no way to be holy apart from the intervening grace of God, which is accomplished by Jesus on the cross. You know, I think there are two ways of looking at, at righteousness in our, in our culture. And I'm just thinking about what my experience was of, of teaching in a, in a um, ecumenical theological consortium. And um, sometimes people on the liberal Protestant side it seemed as though they didn't take sin seriously enough. And if you could only fix your pronouns, the world would be better. Or if we could only, if, if we could only you know, uh, give more money uh, to the homeless, our problems would be, our problems would be better. Now, uh, those may be good things, but my point is that it is deeply rooted, <clears throat> deeply problematic, and that only a supernatural solution can affect the change. You know, um, the Lutherans are very good at admitting this. And I like to hang around Lutherans because um, they're more, 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 more likely to remind you than anybody else that all of your righteousness is just filthy rags. You know, you may think that you're doing something for really good and noble reasons. And on the surface, you might. But deeply, deep down, there's probably some really rotten reason why you're doing it. You're insecure or you're jealous or something else. Uh, but one of the one of the issues that I've sometimes seen with some of my Lutheran friends anyway, is that the situation is so bad that it's hardly worth even trying to practice righteousness. And that's where the, that's where the balance has got to. Jesus says the problem is bad. Practice righteousness my way. Go deep righteousness. And to do that, you're going to have to work hard. And you're going to have to rely on my grace. I think I'm done. Let's pray. Grace of God, thank you for the teachings of Jesus.
<clears throat> I pray that you would, uh, as is sometimes said, afflict the comfortable and, and comfort the afflicted. And uh, we're perhaps in a church setting more likely to feel comfortable and as though, you know, we are here, we have our act together and so on, but we don't. And you are our only solution. And we cling to your mercy and ask for your divine empowerment to uh, obey the teachings of Jesus. And we thank you for his death on the cross, which was the ultimate solution to that problem, and that uh, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to all those who put their faith in him. And these things we pray, giving you thanks and asking for your enablement in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>